If you've struggled with stress, balance, or burnout, and simply feel discouraged or even defeated, and if you're ready to move from force to flow and enjoy ultimate Zen success in your career, health, or relationships, then the Zen Success Show is for you. Your host, Carissa Sims, is an entrepreneur, corporate consultant, best-selling author, meditation teacher, and healer who has found her own Zen success. Here's your host, Carissa Sims. Welcome to this week's episode of Zen Success. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Andrew Colkin. Andrew is the author of Amanda, A Cautionary Tale. He has spoken at several rehab facilities in Southern California as a guest speaker, and he has been an insurance broker for the past 30 years with several major Fortune 500 companies. Andrew is dedicated to helping families understand, identify, and cope with an alcoholic and mentally ill loved one. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you on my show. And I just, I'm curious, this has nothing to do with your book, but um, you have a knight armor behind you. Know, this you. Is my, yeah, you know, I, I didn't even think of it. It's in the background. It's a knight's templar. Yeah. <laughs> I, I collect medieval weapons and a lot of historical pieces. I, I have a World War II museum, but that, that's actually a knight's temp, templar from the 12th century, right? That's incredible. Wow. And then you have all these like beautiful medieval like relics. In yeah, your- I've got old helmets from different uh-huh. eras, from the Roman era to, you know, the dark ages. Right? Ah, what got you interested in that? I've always been interested in history. You know, when I was a kid, I lived, I grew up in New York and we used to visit uh, Civil War battlefields. You know, we used to go to like uh, Antietam and Gettysburg and, and a lot of different battlefields with my dad because my dad was a, a teacher, you know, so I've always been, you know, interested in history and you know, this is just all part of it. This is old history, <laughs> very old history here. Uh, well, it's really interesting and, and amazing. I, I love it. I love the decor. So, honestly, sometimes we forget that, uh, you know, he's, he's actually not moving. Sometimes I walk in the room and he scares you. right well there's a certain energy uh, about the relics as well so i mean (laughs) you know it could be real (laughs) someday i have i'm gonna have to put it on and just stand there and freak everybody out and when i move right (laughs) right right that that would be amazing so so let's get let's get back to you and your mission and your purpose i know that's like one of your passions collecting um medieval relics but so what do you feel the real pandemic was over the past few years the real pandemic yeah well well well, there's two pandemics (laughs) (laughs) the the pandemic and it's actually creating um and there's a 25% increase in alcoholism and, and related mental health issues wow. because, you know, we shut everybody down. A 25% increase in deaths, uh, wow. specifically with alcoholism. And it doesn't even include other issues like, you know, drug addiction and other things that it, that mm-hmm. it certainly exasperated. You know? Yeah, you're just talking about specifically alcoholism. This is just alcoholism, yeah. I and mean, there's mm-hmm. also... Uh, a two and a half, almost 3% increase in the purchase of alcoholism, which they haven't seen since 
the end of prohibition. So there's a huge increase in alcoholism purchasing and deaths directly related to COVID-19. Yeah, that's an interesting statistic. And why do you feel that is? Do you feel that people were depressed, so they drank more? Or why do you think that was? Well, I think it, it, for a lot of people, it, it just it, it made it worse for some people that might have already been at risk already. And it also, well, when, when you take away people's income and they're, you know, they, they have, you can't leave your house, you shut the whole population down that creates a lot of added stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, if someone's already at risk, it's just going to make that problem that much worse. Or people who maybe normally wouldn't drink as much are drinking a lot more because they have nothing better to do. Mm-hmm. Having a lack of purpose is a big cause of alcoholism and depression. You have mm. to have, lose purpose <laughs> and you have a, you know, uh, either depression, either a long-term, or maybe a chemical problem, but this would be more situational, but situational depression could certainly cause, uh, you know, a jump in alcoholism. Mm, yeah. Interesting. And, and so you wrote this book, Amanda, a cautionary tale. What inspired you to write well, it and how has well, it been she, received? Well, she was my wife of 25 years, you know, and I watched her decline for, you know, the last two decades of her life. Uh, and at the end of it, you know, uh, I mean, all I had was a box of ashes and I realized with all the experience that I'd had, uh, I certainly didn't want to just end it there. You know, I knew I can help other families. I can help other people who can identify maybe a loved one in their family who's at risk of being an alcoholic, or maybe they're already an alcoholic. And I can also help families uh, deal with someone and understand what's going on instead of being reactionary. Uh, maybe find a way to help the person rather than just being angry and full of animosity all the time. Uh, we, we have to be able to identify that person and, and help them. We, we, we have to help alcoholics in a better way. We have to have a different approach than I think than simply going to rehabs all the time. That's mm. that's just a short term. That's a very short term solution to a long-term problem. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, was it hard for you to write it? Did it, did it bring up a lot of memories or was it therapeutic and healing? Well, I think it was a little bit of both. Um, I started writing it, you know, uh, maybe four or five months after she passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I wrote it, I think I wrote the first 120 pages or so. And then it was, it seemed like it was very angry that, you know, the, the first mm. hundred pages and it was, I realized I was putting a lot of emotion into it. Mm. So I stopped, uh, I stopped for almost, almost a year, about 10 months. I just stepped away from it and I needed to have a, a clear perspective of what I was doing. I think I needed to look outside of the emotions that I was feeling at the time. And I, you know, I came up with a much better book. I rewrote some of the beginning and it just came up with a, you know, a much better story uh, and, a, and a much better book that can help other people and you can, who can identify and maybe understand what I went through and be able to relate to it. It's also a very entertaining story. I mean, it's a woman who, I mean, Amanda was, you know, she's one of the top salespeople uh, in our brokerage and she went from wow. that to being, in the last few years of her life, she just sat in front of a television set 18 hours a day and drank. I mean, there's nothing we could do for her, you know, but just, just going from point A to point B. 
and everything in between. Uh, it's, it's a very sad story, but uh, that's already come and gone. All we can do now is help people who are still, you know, who are still struggling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and did you notice um, the, the signs of when she just wanted to sit and, and watch because it didn't seem like her was, was there anything in particular that happened or was it gradual? Oh, it's a very long progression. She, she, she was actually originally from Canada. Her family was. So when I first met her, she always mm-hmm. drank, you know, almost a bottle of wine every day or half a bottle. I think a lot of it was to relax after, you know, a stressful day of driving and dealing with people. Uh, and that, you know, 0.750 bottle became 1.75 liters, you know, after about 10 years. Well, mm. she was drinking almost two liters of wine a day. Wow. Uh, I mean, she was functioning at that point. I mean, she was still able to to do everything. But I think eventually uh, it just it, it, it began to wore her down physically and mentally and, and emotionally. Yeah, a very slow process, and you know, I was woefully ignorant of of alcoholism. I I had never been exposed to it. Yeah, you know, I don't. I mean, I drink a little bit, but I mean, it's you know, I, I don't think two beers on a weekend is 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 in comparison to what she was doing. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, there's also the social component. It seems that. Um, not necessarily alcoholism, but drinking alcohol is acceptable. It's not, you know, especially wine. I mean, people have jokes about it and, you know, it's, and, and so I can understand where you're coming from of like, you know, this gradual progression. Oh, you know, she's drinking wine and maybe she's had a few glasses and maybe not even noticing, oh, wow, we're really going through a lot of wine. And, um, and so that, how did it, it start to affect her health? W- was uh, her health slowly declining? Well, because naturally, because there's a lot of calories when you drink that much wine and she gained quite yeah. a bit of weight. Oh, uh, I see. The weight, we had a pretty, you know, I bought a, a big house in Escondido, California, which is about an hour from here. And it was I know steps. Escondido. Yeah. And, and there was a lot of steps in this house. So there was three levels. And the extra weight that she had, it really wrecked her knees and her mm-hmm. hips. Um, and that began to really take effect on her. She was in pain a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, she had to have her knees replaced. But the pain that she was going through, uh, along with an ankle, old ankle injury, uh, was kind of another excuse for her to drink because it numbed uh, some of her, the physicality that she was going through, the pain she was going through. Mm. And did you guys have kids? Yeah, we have one son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's, he's twenty-two now. Yeah. Oh, okay. And how old was he at the time when um, she was going through all this? Well, I'd say his entire childhood. His entire life. Oh, wow. His entire childhood. Oh, yeah. You know, the the longest stretch that she went without drinking was when she was pregnant with my our son. He was born in two thousand. Mm. So. Kudos to her. She did not drink during that nine month period. <laughs> and not uh, everyone does. I mean, some people yeah. still drink wine. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud of my son and the fact that he doesn't, he's very anti alcohol. You know, yeah. in fact, when he turned 21, some of his friends gave him a bottle of Jack Daniels. Uh, and he gave it to me. He goes, Dad, I don't know what to do with this. I'm never going to, you know, put, put, put it in the liquor cabinet. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm yeah. Like, no, Good no for problem. you. 
No yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, does, was there a, ever any other behaviors or was it just like she was slowing down? Like, uh, was she ever violent or anything like that coming out? Well, at the first, I think the first real issue was when Griff, our son Griffin was, you know, probably first, second grade. And, and my wife was part of a carpool, you know, and they would take turns bringing the kids to the elementary school. Yeah. I think some of the other mothers noticed, you know, alcohol on her breath in the morning, you oh, know, and that was yeah. an issue. So they, they kind of kicked her out of the, the carpool, which is, you know, a, a pretty normal thing to do. Right. Uh, and she began losing friends. You know, she, you know, socially, she would drink too much if we had people over uh, and it'd be, she kind of began to have a reputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she lost a lot of friends. Uh, alcoholism, what happens is you get very isolated. You know, because a lot of people just don't want to be around it once they realize there's a situation. And a lot of people really had no idea uh, of the extent of her alcoholism. Because if you don't see somebody enough and you only see them when, you know, socially, they're, they're not going to really understand it. But yeah. that was one of the first cases was the uh, the carpool. And then, you know, she started getting DUIs. She started getting arrested and she had a lot of uh you know, she had a lot of legal issues as a result. Mm. She, she drove through the front of our house two times, you know. Wow, just, twice you take, yeah. yeah things like that, you, you kind of pick up there's an issue. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Were you working a lot at this time, uh, traveling or? Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I'm an insurance, but I've worked out of my, luckily I've worked out of my house my entire career. Um, but, you know, I do a lot of driving. You know, mm-hmm. I'd be gone. Yeah, you know, but... I'd be gone six, seven hours a day during open enrollment during this time of year. Usually October, November, most of December, it was twelve hours. A, you know, twelve hours a day. So during that period, I was gone quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but not excessively. Now. Not that's yeah. not excessive because I mean, I, I was thinking, gosh, maybe she was sad that you were gone. No, no, nothing like that. And did it run in her family or anything? Yes. It runs in her family. I, initially, because they're from Canada, I, I was, I thought it was a cultural thing. I thought because they all drank wine, you know, initially. Mm-hmm, and there's mm-hmm. other family members, close family members that have similar, that has a similar issue. Mm-hmm. Her parents are both gone now, but I mean, she has a sibling that has an issue. Uh-huh. You know? uh, and her grandmother died of it. So it's definitely, there's definitely um, a hereditary element to mm-hmm. it, too. You're, you definitely have a... A more susceptibility to alcoholism yeah absolutely yeah it runs in my family too yeah. i would notice uh my grandmother definitely was an alcoholic and and my dad i i would consider him because he could not stop although he was never like abusive or aggressive there's nothing nothing like that but he had to have two beers a night and and, like he had to, you know, (laughs) you know, and there was nothing that was going to stop it. Same with his coffee. I mean, anything can be an addiction, food, coffee, exercise, but, but alcoholism can definitely be more, you know, obviously detrimental because you affect other people or driving, but, but, um, but I just find it interesting because I was like, oh yeah, I, he is, but, but no one ever said anything to him. I never said anything to him. It was just normal. I mean, right. I didn't think anything of it. I, like my grandmother was an alcoholic. I was like, 
okay, so you're an alcoholic, no big right. deal. Right. So that, I, you know, and I think maybe back in that, those times, it was maybe even more socially acceptable, like, Probably. you know, you know, in that, that, was, that era. Was, it's the only thing where uh, it's, uh, when someone sees someone struggling with it, they think it's almost funny, you know. It's the it's the only yeah. it's the only disease that we can laugh about and and criticize. Uh, you know, we, we you know we don't criticize the person who has stage four cancer. That's true. You know, or the diabetic mm-hmm. that has no legs and they're in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Why do we criticize the alcoholic? And that's one of the things I'm trying to come across with people is that this is a disease and it needs to be treated like a disease. Mm-hmm. And the first step is for people to understand that someone is in it's a life or death situation when you're a chronic alcoholic. It really is. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And it can cause all sorts of different medical issues. So technically alcoholism is a disease, correct? Oh, oh, it's absolutely a disease. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yeah. And, and so, and, and it's always been a disease or is this, has this been more recent where it's an actual diagnosis? Uh, probably in the last, since the 1960s, there were some studies and it was, you know, diagnosed as a disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Categorized that way. Categorized. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you know if a loved one has an addiction? I mean, do you feel like there can be healthy addictions as well or there, there can be anything can be an addiction. I don't, I don't think, well, the, the thing is there's, it's never a good idea to have too much of anything. Yeah. Chronic alcoholism is when you've created a habit, a habit where you have to have something every single day and it becomes part of you. And if it's adversely affecting you mentally, physically, and it's affecting the people around you, then yeah, that person has a problem. A lot of times you don't even have to ask the alcoholic if they have a problem because they're always going to say, no, they don't. <laughs> Just ask the people around them. They'll tell you. Mm-hmm. They just ask family members. Because when, when you have an alcoholic in the family, the whole family is suffering from alcoholism in one way or the other. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I know I was dating this guy in college and he would smoke pot, drink, you know, all right. of that. And right. probably addicted to both, actually. And and one time, I mean, he didn't really feel, I mean, they get think a lot of people think that pot is not addictive. Maybe there's studies on that or something, but I, I do feel like it can be habitual. And this one time we were driving and, and I knew he was high and, yeah. and he was driving. I let him drive and, and he almost hit this pedestrian and I was like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. I'm out. I, I didn't even try to change him to be honest, because I I just was like, oh no, I talked to him and he's like, no, I don't have a problem. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm out of here. I can't have a child with this person, right. you know? So it's just, you're so right about people being in denial because it's such a crutch. It's such a part of who they are that right. if you take that away, it's like taking away part of themselves. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah, my wife was in denial up until the day we we unplugged her, the machines that were keeping her alive, you know. Wow. Yeah. And 
Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's. I don't yeah. have a problem. Okay. Well, well you're, you're, she was in the uh, UCLA medical center the last, she fit, she was at a rehab facility. She fell down a flight of stairs and we ended up putting her in the UCLA Ronald Reagan medical center. She was there for 28 days. I mean, the bill was over $3 million, but you know, she didn't have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Did, did she ultimately die of like liver damage? No, she she had so many issues. Oh, uh, so many. Uh, yeah, multiple issues that, that were all related. Yeah. Ultimately, she fell down a flight of stairs uh, yeah. at the rehab. But then when they opened her up, she had so much, um, so many problems internally uh, that, that they couldn't even they couldn't even go after all of them. I mean, her liver was having problems. She was on kidney dialysis. Her, I mean, her, yeah, her everything was gone. And, and I mean, it was just no point. And she was only 58 years old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And what do you think about doctor? They used to have advice that, um, I think it's called Reseratol. Uh, there's something in wine that can be beneficial. Do oh, you yeah. remember that? That trend, a glass of wine. Yeah, red wine. <laughs> red wine. It's good yeah. for your heart. Yeah. yeah, that's what they like. Same thing with whiskey. You can you can have like <laughs> one shot of whiskey is actually good for your, uh, you know your, I guess your bloodstream and your heart. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, interesting. Because I think sometimes people have that in in their head a little bit too. Like, oh, wine's good for you. Do you think? Yeah, if if one glass of red wine is good for you, maybe I should have ten. It'd even be better. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So, how do you think someone becomes an alcoholic? Would they tend to have other addictions as well? Well, they can, but usually, usually it's one you know serious addiction. Usually, it's one one that's more than others. Amanda also had problems with, um, you know, you know, prescription medications. You know, she went oh, to doctors yeah. all the time. She had piles of prescription medications. I don't. And the thing is, when she got drunk, um, she would take too many, and she would overdose uh, a number of times. So you know, the, so she was having multiple addictions. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people smoke, like you said, they smoke dope and they drink. Mm -hmm. um, when I, when I spoke at the rehabs, a lot of the kids are fentanyl is a big problem now. And so is, is heroin, which was never mm. around, when, you know, I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, heroin is a, is a big issue because you can get kicked. You can get addicted to it after one, after using it one time. Yeah. Highly addictive. Mm -hmm. Highly addictive. Mm-hmm. As well as painkillers and things that the doctors prescribe as well. Right. That's why. Or they, they can lead to other things. Yeah. They can lead to other things. But usually, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, she took so many medications. I didn't even know what they were. Yeah. You couldn't keep track. Doctors. How did you guys meet? We, we met uh, at work. You know, we were both insurance brokers. We met at a company. Oh, uh, great. Eventually, eventually, we started our own brokerage. You know, we had a very good business and we had, we had a very good relationship. The, the thing is with her was that she was a very nice person. She was a very kind person. Yeah. You know, uh, which was doubly difficult, you know? Yeah. Cause you knew her heart. Yeah. I mean, if she was like a complete pain in the ass, it would have been easier to say <laughs> goodbye. You know? Yeah. You loved her deeply. I, yes. tell. I mean, she was a, she was a kind person. I mean, we, we have, uh, we had two cats and two dogs when we, 
course, moved in together and they, they would like, she'd walk around the house and they would just like follow her around, you know, Pied Piper. She just had this energy. She had a very outgoing. Yeah. Energy. Yeah. Magnetic. Right. Magnetic, right. Um, <laughs> and then did you guys ever go out and drink together socially? I, I never really drank that much. It was yeah, just, it was no, just, you yeah. never did. Okay, yeah. I mean, I drink, I have a cigar once in a while and I'll have uh, maybe a shot and a half of whiskey and I'll sip on it for three hours, you know. I, yeah. I don't really, I'm more of an athlete, you know. I just, just alcohol has never really been a big part of my life. Yeah. With her, it was just, you know, on her way home, she picked up two bottles of wine every day. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Did your relationship impact your profession or your job at all? Well, sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes. I mean, uh, during uh, our open enrollment season, she would usually make the phone calls. Uh, and there were times when I realized she was talking to my clients and she was totally inebriated. And I go, you, you got to stop doing that. <laughs> She's just rambling on about her life to, <laughs> to my clients. You know, I'm like, oh, can we cancel? <laughs> yeah. And, and there were other times where, you know, uh, later uh, when she had DUIs, she had, I mean, a number of DUIs. She had four DUIs. And then she had, you know, the police were coming and looking for her. She had warrants. Uh, I mean, there's a few times where they came to our house and I was, you know, I was trying to work and I got the, you know, police walking through my house. It was very stressful. Yeah. Very, yeah, very stressful. stressful. Yeah. So do you do talks at these rehab facilities? How do you help other families understand yeah, well, this? I, I really talk to the, to the parents. Cause usually, usually when you have a family weekend at a rehab facilities, it's when the family all flies in. Mm -hmm. uh, after near the end of the rehab um and, and they try to you know reconnect um the patient with the family but i we kind of started with with one in palm Springs specifically that amanda used to go to uh, and they let me talk because after she passed away and i, I that's how it kind of started yeah uh, but i would talk to the families uh, about you know sometimes you have to let your children fail um, you shouldn't support them, you know, financially all the time. You have to let them grow up. And a lot of these families are enabling their kids to continue with their behavior because they don't have to worry about money and they, they're just being taken care of. You're allowing your kid mm. to stay in your house and, and you know, do heroin or whatever their issue is, uh, and you're allowing it. And you have to get tough. You, know, you have to get tough. You have to let your kids grow up and, and, and fail a little bit. Mm. That's a tough thing to do as a parent. At least you have to be able to identify that, you, that as a parent, you're part of the problem because you're enabling uh, the child. Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's the relationship. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so interesting because you think that that's loving your child is to, uh, you know, let them stay in your house right. for free or, yeah, it seems like you're taking care of them, but it's actually detrimental because you're not empowering them to be right. independent. So, so they're probably trying to find out who they are. 
And so maybe they're like, okay, I'll try this. And maybe I can find some identity of like who I could be uh, or escape, maybe escape. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I was thinking about that with, uh, I tried so hard with my son. I think I did a great job. Well, he's, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's only 10 now, so we'll see. (laughs) Verdict's still out. (laughs) But I mean, as far as like, even at the playground, like not helping him up right. Right. and, and, and having that a child struggle strengthens them. Right. And, and, you know, but I notice I have to be honest with my daughter. Now she's seven. I'm told, I mean, I would say about half the time I'm enabling her. Oh, what can I do? Like catering right. to her. And I don't know if it's because a boy and now I have a girl, but I, I find it kind of interesting that you said that because I feel like it's a red flag for me, that I need to pay attention to that, that right. it can not serve her long-term. Right. Because you have normal, uh, you know, maternal instincts. Yeah. You know? But yeah, it's different difference when the child is 10 and when they're 26 and they're still living, you know, in their bedroom. Uh, there's a big difference between that. Okay. I'm talking about, you know, kids that are 25, 26 years old and there's, yeah. they're still, they're still a mommy and daddy's pocketbook. Yeah. That's, that's no. Great. Yeah, that's a good point. But, you know, but I I do feel like it's still important to lay the groundwork because then if you just all of a sudden, okay, I'm not enabling you anymore. They're going to be like, oh, well, that's how you showed love. You don't love me anymore. So it could be that. I don't know. Um, But what, so your son, what's your son up to? Well, he's, he's in his last year of college. He goes to Santa Cruz. He's oh, going to okay. graduate, he's he's graduate in June. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's always been a good student. He was a very easy kid. That's one thing that helped me that, that I mean, if I, if I had a lot of issues with the, with a teenager or something, while all this was going on, I would have gone uh, crazy. Yeah. He was, he was a, he's probably about the easiest kid you could have. He was just easy. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that that's really wonderful. And you guys have a good relationship. Yeah. yeah we have a really good relationship. Yeah. Really that's, good. Yeah, we're good buddies. That's amazing. The whole thing affected him in a different way. He, yeah. I, didn't really, I guess I wasn't paying attention. It he gained a lot of weight, you know. Okay. I guess mm-hmm. he was eating a lot of stuff. I just wasn't paying attention, and uh, so that's easy to do. You're trying to focus on your wife and her own right. healing. Yeah. But he went. Uh, he went up to two. He's six one, and he weighed. Oh, uh, so he's a big guy, anyway. He's he's a you know, we're yeah he's about the same height as me. But we're, but he weighed 298 uh, when my wife died. And it was, you know. And when was that? When did your wife uh, that die? Was in 2020, uh, mm-hmm. February of 2020. So a little over two and a half years ago. Okay. And within a year of her passing, he lost uh, 115 pounds on his own just by dieting and stuff. And I think he realized that, that uh, you know, the just all the stress of what we went through with his mother had affected him. Uh, and he took it upon himself to just, uh, you know, he just ate rice and chicken and, and vegetables for about a year. And he just lost weight and, you know, and, and walked every day. And he just did it naturally. And I was very proud of him. Maybe now he's like 185. <laughs> he's like skinny now, but uh, I, I, you know, it definitely affected him in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And, and maybe in a way had his own food addiction. 
Yeah, it was bad food. I think, well, that's one thing that Amanda did was she always cooked the way that she showed love was always have cakes and cookies, cupcakes, you know. She always made everything filled with carbohydrates and sugar. Ah, yeah. I know. My my kids wish I was like that. (laughs) And I say, you'll thank me someday. (laughs) They'll thank you. Yeah, you don't want to get hooked on sugar. You know, that's the worst. Oh, it is such a drug. I, oh my God. It's like, that's an addiction too. And it's awful. Sugar is the biggest addiction. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. And it is so toxic. And and definitely my kids are. Um, But I don't, I don't give them a lot at home. But like when Halloween comes or Christmas, the holidays, oh yeah, they get it. So let's go back to, um, what what do you feel is effective for treating or helping a family member? Do you feel organizations like AA work in supporting recovery, or what do you think? What have, have you found in your experience? Well, the first thing when someone is chronic and they're they're at the point where they they just they can't stop. You, you need to do an intervention. The family needs to do an intervention. Otherwise, that person's going to they're either going to die themselves, they're going to harm themselves in a horrible way or harm someone else. So the family needs to step in. They need to go to a rehab facility for 30, 60, or 90 days. But that's just the beginning. I mean, Amanda went to seven of them. When you get out, and the problem that I have with rehabs is they're wonderful. They have they, you know, they have a great support group. You're around like-minded people. You can talk about your issues. You can expose what's really bothering you in, in a comfortable setting. The problem is when that's over, they just kind of, you walk out the door and you go back and revisit your own life. Yeah. And they give you a list of AA meetings and they tell you to get a, an accountability, uh, accountability sponsor. Well, that's all great, but you're basically leaving up to the patient to take care of themselves. You know, I, I equate it to allowing someone who has needs open heart surgery to, to do surgery on themselves. <laughs> you know? And the, the problem is is the follow-up. Yeah. Uh, AA meetings, AA meetings are absolutely a life or death situation. You have to go to AA meetings because when someone's an alcoholic, it's a disease that's going to last for the person's entire life. Yeah. The, yeah. It, it, you, you may be able to have some success in sobriety, but you have to do the work. Uh, yeah. I know people that have been haven't had a drink in 25 years and they still go to AA meetings. Yeah, I I do as well. Some of my clients. Yeah. The, yeah. And and they're and they're proud. I hadn't had a drink in right. that long. That's amazing. OK, so I just had this idea sure. that you could have <laughs> you take my ideas with a grain of salt, but you could have a program or you could start a program with facilitators that's online Mm -hmm. that is um it's it's almost like uh you know that follow-up that you're talking about and and have it be and they just pay like a monthly fee and they have Mm -hmm. like their weekly meetings what do you think about that well that that's actually i'm gonna i'm starting a coaching program that's that's oh you are Okay. Okay. Cool. Doing that, I'm actually making. I'm going to make a series of. I already have on YouTube, but make a series Mm -hmm. of about 50 50 different videos. Okay. Explaining, you know, identifying everything that we're talking about here today. Identifying first, and then what to do. Uh, Well, you know, exploring your own emotions and and identifying uh, the loved one who's at risk and why they might be at risk. 
almost every little detail that someone might be able to relate to. And certainly, you know, part of an element of that is going to be what to do after a rehab facility. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Well, I, I think that's amazing and incredible work that you're doing in her honor right. and for your son and, and such an example for him. So yeah. it's wonderful. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is, what does he want to do? What is, what is his passion? Well, yeah, he's, he is an English literature major. Okay. You know, um, you know, we obviously we have a lot of books in the house. I think, you know, I've certainly an influence on that. He's really into uh, old, old literature, you know, the, yeah. the, the classics. Okay. Everything from Dante to Milton to, you know, <laughs> the stuff nobody reads and you have to duck Wonderful. Off. He's, he's smart. Books. He's right. smart, huh? He's yeah. Smart. I don't know where that equates to what he's going to do, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be amazing to do something right. together. Well, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and learning you about too. your book, Amanda, a Cautionary Tale. I'll put your website and how to buy your book in the uh, show notes. So thank you for being okay. here with me today. Well, thanks so much, Grisa. It's good talking to you. Yeah, you too. Have a great day. All right, you too. That's it for today's episode of Zen Success. Head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to shows. Zen Success is also available on the radio in select markets through amfm247.com. Subscribe to the show and share with friends. Be sure to head on over to zensuccessshow.com to help you on your Zen Success journey. And join us on the next episode. May you find your own Zen Success in life.